Those of you that have been here know we're in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And I want to remind you uh, of the context of Corinthians and how that relates to us here at Radius Church. The Corinthian church, they were very, very similar to a lot of churches here in the Western culture today in that the, the culture in which they lived made it difficult to commit their lives to Jesus Christ. Um, they had rough backgrounds. They were diverse, but their diversity in all its forms was foreign to what the apostles was trying to teach them regarding their commitment to Jesus Christ in being Christians. There was a challenge to define what a Christian is anyways. What truly is a Christian? What does that mean? What did Christ intend? That was a, a challenge then, and it's a challenge now. If you were to go around in our country today and in our culture and ask 10 different people what a Christian is, you probably get 10 different answers. If you were to survey people and you were to ask them, hey, how is this relevant to my life? How should I apply this to every area in my life? And depending upon the area of their lives that you would ask them that question, you would get different answers. There's often not much unity in what it means to commit our lives to Jesus Christ. In Paul, in 1 Corinthians, it's not going to be up on the screen. But by the way, we got Bibles under, the, under your seat. If you don't have a phone or if you are interested in, in opening up in, in, in the Bible, because we won't have all the passages on the screen like, like we used to, We'll just have the core passage. But I want to remind you at the beginning when Paul opened up and he wrote the letter in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, Paul reminded the Corinthians in chapter 1 verse 2 that they're saints. He says in verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. If you remember, this is important because throughout the book, he talks about a lot of things that was, ha that was happening in the church of Corinth that was not in line with God's standards. Sexual immorality, a lot of disunity, a lot of quarreling, fighting. But he reminded them that despite what was going on in their lives, if they have committed themselves to Christ, that they're a saint. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a saint. <laughs> this is important because for them and just like us, if you are not doing what you're supposed to do and you're convicted or you feel guilty and you are far from the presence of God, you don't really want to be involved in Christian or church things, that can really challenge your commitment to Christ and quite often challenge who you are in Christ or who you think you are or want to be in Christ. And so Paul wanted to 
Help them to understand that your identity in Christ is tied to who he is and what he's done, not your imperfections. So this was encouragement foundationally because they needed to hear it. Paul could have came in because, hey, they, they were a mess. He could have came in foundationally and says, you all need to get your act together. Now, he eventually encouraged them to improve, but foundationally, he wanted to encourage them. He wanted to remind them of their identity. That's why looking at your neighbor, if you belong to Jesus Christ this morning, and knowing that you are a saint, that God calls you a saint, is foundationally important, and you need to be encouraged this morning that you belong to the God of the universe. He then goes on to give them some really cool encouragement in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 8. He says that who will, meaning the Lord God, will sustain you to the end guiltless. In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted them to know that at the end of the end of the day, if you belong to God, through all your imperfections in your mess, God has promised that he is going to sustain you. He is going to keep you. And when it's all said and done and you stand before him, you're not guilty. Amen. Now... I don't know about you, but if I commit a crime or if I hurt someone and I know I'm guilty and I admit that and I know in my heart of hearts that I deserve what I deserve because I've hurt that person or I have broken the law and they walk me to the courthouse And the juror, everyone involved, the judge, everyone knows I'm guilty. And my lawyer comes back to me, who represents me, my Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes up to me and he says, you know what? I just want you to know something. Today... In this courthouse, you're going to be determined as not guilty. He might first look at you and ask you a question. Did you, will you admit that you committed this crime? And if you're humble, and if you really are contrite, and you admit it, and you don't have pride, and you look at your Lord, and your representative, and you say, yes, I'm guilty. Then he says to you, because you admit that you're guilty and you know you're guilty, you need to understand that you can't get out of this problem yourself because you're the one that committed the crime. You can't pay 
for your own restitution. So because I'm innocent, and as a matter of fact, I'm not only innocent, but I've never committed a crime. I have the authority and I have the ability to forgive you and to take your place, to stand in the gap for you. But then he asks you, will you receive that? Now, some people related to this illustration If you tell them that and you give them that story, they might say, you know, I don't admit it. I'm not really that bad of a person. I don't know if I really did it or I didn't do it. And really, I just want to do what I want to do. According to the Bible, this is what God is saying happened through Jesus Christ, is that the God of the universe wants every man and every woman to admit that they do need a Savior, that they're guilty. But if they admit it, he's saying, I'll forgive you, but you have to receive this forgiveness. You have to admit it. And a lot of people just say no, because they want to do what they want to do. And guess what? God does. Guess what Jesus does when people do that? He says, okay. It just means that now when you go to court, heavenly court, and one day you die and you stand before a holy God, you you, now you can debate with God whether or not you're guilty or not, or you deserve to be with him in heaven. That's like your choice. Jesus nor his representatives, when we are offering this, our Lord Jesus Christ, an an opportunity for them to be guilty, this foundational truth that God gave to us that we are offering to others, it is not something that we are offering as a debate to be mean, to condemn. The scripture says that God didn't come into the world to condemn the world, John 3 but to save them. The condemnation comes because you reject the only offer that God provides to make you not guilty. So, going back to the courthouse, once you or I, whoever the person is, say that they're guilty, Jesus says that you will be guiltless before this court. Now the next question is, will you continue in the crimes or the sin that got you to this place or that offended the judge or broke the law. And because the whole point of after you're forgiven, now the goal is to get better, to become more like Christ, to no longer continue to break God's laws or his standards. And so now... You and I, God has determined, Jesus, in here Paul says, when you stand before God because of Christ, you're guiltless. Okay? Even though you don't deserve it, God does not determine his relationship with you because of something you did. But Paul will go on to say, just like Jesus quite often says when he forgave someone, go and sin no more. Now, he doesn't mean sinless. He means 
growth, intentional growth, committing to God's design. So for you and I, the first thing we need to establish here is that we're forgiven, that we are connected to Christ, that we belong to him because of that forgiveness. Now, when we encourage one another to grow, we need to remember that it is God's design for you to grow when we, when we are encouraging one another to live our lives according to God's design. It is not a guilt trip. It is not so we can condemn one another, but it is for our own good. Who else said that? Well... Let's look at our passages that we've looked at last week and this week. 1 Corinthians 7, by the way, is is, uh, where we're at. And I noticed on the screen it said 1 Corinthians 8. I don't know why, but it should have been 1 Corinthians 7. And if you all remember from... Last week, um, Paul reminded the Corinthians that they need to live the lives that God has designed for them in verses 17 through 24. As he was about to teach them about being content, being fulfilled as a Christian in the life that God's have them, where God has them, he reminded them that you need to live as if you were called. If you're single, be committed to that in the Lord. If you're married, be committed to that in the Lord. If you black, be committed to that in the Lord. If you white, whatever your ethnic background, if you poor, if you rich, don't get so concerned with trying to change your condition that that trumps your commitment to Christ. That is Jesus's principle. That is His disciples' principles for all Christians is that you seek ye what? First, the kingdom of heaven and God's standards. And then all those other things, God's got you. And in verse 35 in chapter 7, He says, I say this for your own benefit, everything that I'm saying to you up until this point. Not to lay a restraint, not to burden you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul's statement here is the summary that I gave you in this introduction. We're committed to Christ. We're Christians. All these instructions. It's not to burden or to lay any restraints when we're trying to help each other grow. It is so that we can encourage one another to not be distracted by anything. Think of the most important thing in your life. Is it your children? Is it your spouse? Is it your career? 
what matters most to you in your life on this earth? The scriptures teach you through the Holy Spirit, through God's guidance, that you don't want those things to become your God. You put God first, and then all those things will be put in their proper place. Because I guarantee you, whoever they are or whatever it is, it's going to disappoint you. Those that love you the most hurt you the most. They have that potential to do that. Why? Because you love them. They love you. They're not perfect. You're not perfect. We have these expectations that we treat one another well, and then all of a sudden we don't treat one another well. And if all of your fulfillment in life is in that person over your commitment to God, then you will have an unbalanced peace and joy and fulfillment throughout your life. You always be up and down because your fulfillment is more in things than completely in the Lord. It does not take away the hurt. We will have pain. But we don't want those things to distract us from our commitment to the Lord. Because the things that hurt us, the things that we put our all in, then when we don't have it now, we are no longer devoted to the Lord. And this is Paul's point. He takes the things that are probably most important to the Corinthians, there's something, someone that they love, and he downplays it. Why? Because he says in verse 35, this is my whole point to y'all. Not to lay any restraints. Not to offend you. I'm just trying to have good order so you stay devoted to Christ. Think about who you got a problem with in your life right now. <laughs> who get on your nerves, who has hurt you, who continues to just bother you. Don't let them become a distraction for you being devoted to the Lord. I need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded of that as much as possible. So, let's look at and highlight and talk about a little bit um, the next few verses after verse 24 from last week. And we're going to look at verses 25 and on. We're going to read a few of these verses and just um, talk about them a little bit because now Paul is going to give a little bit more um, counsel here. These are principles in counsel and advice to Christians. Verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. 
I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is, he or she. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Nothing wrong with that. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. I'm just going to pause right there. Any of you um, theologians out there in the audience want to help me out? If you know the answer, if not, I'll, I'll give it. What's a betrothed? When Paul says now concerning the betrothed, they're engaged, okay? Is that, is that what that is? Good answer, scholar, because you usually know them. <laughs> what is a betrothed? He says, but, but concerning the betrothed, I have no command. Um, but he says, but I think in view of this present distress, verse 26, it is good for a person to remain as he is. So he says, whoever this betrothed person is, they should just stay that way. Huh? Single. Um, in that culture, in that time, they, they, they looked at single people, especially in the Jewish culture, as virgins. So really the, the, the translation, the literal translation here, this Greek word would be virgin. But this author in, in the NAS, and, and there's different translations to translate these words. Some just say betrothed, but it's virgin or single person. So he's going to now start off giving the advice to single people. And he's saying, you know what? Because of what's happening in this distress environment, I just think you should just really stay the way you are. <laughs> like, stay single. Now, at that time, you all need to know, like, the Jews were under oppression. And about 10 years after Paul had wrote this, um, a little history here, the Romans oppressed the Jews even more. Like there was like a little um, um, internal war in Rome against the Jews. And so they were always under pressure. And so in this context, when Paul is talking to this group, he's basically saying because of all that we're going through and we need to focus on the Lord and because of all that can happen, just, just be careful before you go on and get married. And he'll go on to explain more why. You know, he breaks it down even more. But even in our context where we're, we are living here in 2023 in Dubuque, Iowa, married folks. Let me ask you a question to maybe help out. Um, I don't even know if we got some singles in here today. I know we got a couple. Yep, we got some singles. Okay. So... But do we have singles? So there's two different types of singles, and Paul's going to note that too. There's the widow, those who have been married and now are not, and those that have never been married. So this first single group he's talking about is those who have never been married. Like, they wet behind the ears. They don't know what they're getting into. So married folks, is being married 
I know it's a blessing. Don't get me wrong. But is being married easy? That's an obvious. I know, I know the obvious answer to that, okay? If you have been married for five years or longer, five years or longer, okay, give me, if you are willing to share, why don't you give the single folks maybe about one to two tips about some difficulties of marriage? Like, what are some things that you have challenges with being married or being a married Christian? There's going to be a risk of nobody will say anything, so I understand. But, but Will, Will, Will is always here for me. Go ahead. Give him some tips. What are, some, what are one to two difficult things about being married? And be careful. <laughs> Where to go eat? Okay. <laughs> That's facts. What's another one? What? Oh, just saying you right. Just agreeing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I could keep going down that road, but I won't. We might have a gender war. We might have a gender war. All right, Kyle. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Kyle. Well said. Well, both of you. Um, if you've been married less than five years, go ahead and chime in. If you newly married, if you want, no pressure. Think you going in, you thought it would be a certain way because obviously it's a blessing to be married. It's exciting. I mean, we're attracted to one another. It's natural. Most of us will want to be married. That's it's God's design. So the scripture says it is not good for a man to be alone. God knows we know that. Okay, we need help. Okay. <laughs> um, but is there any other married folks that's not been married that long that you went into it thinking it would be a certain way, but man, I learned something different. Go ahead, back there. Got you, got you. Yeah. Hmm, ain't that the truth? Amen and amen. Ain't that true, saints? Yeah. When we got into this, I th you were like this, okay? <laughs> and this is what I thought I married, right? And all of a sudden, you changing on me. And then other person is thinking, well, okay, I am growing. I mean, like, I am growing. I mean, it's only natural, right, that some things change because we just grow in, in, in other situations. And that is a tough one. 
Anybody else? If nobody else, okay. Nell. It, it, woo, man. Has it been 30 years? Oh, my God. <laughs> How did you hang in there, young lady? <laughs> huh? Mm. Yeah, that is so true. Like making decisions, thinking about the other person. That's why after 30 years, I've took what Will said to the next level, and I'm just like, it's all yours, honey, whatever you want to do. <laughs> I have literally just took myself out of the equation of everything possible so that it's just her decision. <laughs> Um, and so I'm not asking everybody to be there. I know my, most guys probably ain't there, but that's, that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> so um, back to, back to the, the passage a little bit in Paul's point when he's giving single people advice. He's saying, I'd rather you stay where you are. And he says, I give this advice, verse 25. It's not a command. So the, this, this marital advice from Paul that it is really, really good for single and married people to kind of take chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, put it in your back pocket, bring it out, meditate on it, because it's, good, it's a good reminder. Because these are principles. And he's teaching you that this ain't a command from the Lord, these principles. These are guides, and these are things for you to think about, especially in the condition that you're at. He says, but he gives his judgment from a man of God who's trustworthy. And then he goes on to say, verse 26, he's talking about stress in life. Now, this didn't really um, come up in our discussion, but... Life stress, just alone, living in this world as a Christian, is hard by yourself. I have spoken with many of you now that some of you have kids, you have a wife, you're trying to serve the Lord. Now, to serve the Lord, and now you have kids... It's a different dynamic. You can't just be in ministry, serve the church, be at the church all day when you got a family and kids. You just can't come when everybody calls. Your friend that used to call you and you come down and pray for them. Now your wife or your husband is like, where are you going? And you like, such and such, they want me to pray for them. I got to go serve this person. And that significant other is thinking, what about me? And Paul goes on to explain that. Verse 29, he says, this is what I mean. Brothers, the appointed time um, grows weary. 
from now on, they're the, the, um, let those who have wives. Wait a minute. Let me not read that one. My apologies. I'm, I'm going to jump ahead. My, um, we, this ain't a um, traditional expository preaching time, but I'm going to jump ahead. Verse 32. Let's go to verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Verse 33, but the married man is anxious about, the th- about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So, what was practical then is still practical now in 2023. When you married, you have anxiety and you want to please your significant other. And if you don't, they're going to let you know about it. So if you ain't anxious about how to please them, you're going to already have a problem in your marriage. If you are married to the ministry, (laughs) you just out here trying to serve the Lord, and your significant other is going to again say, what about me? So, I have some answers to this, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to see if you guys have some answers and can help us out. How do you balance and navigate if you made that decision? First of all, that's why Paul says if you're single and you're serving the Lord, be careful before you get married. Think about it because if you get married, now you, you kind of got to share yourself with that other person. It's a commitment. But how do you balance committing your life to the Lord whether that's a career in ministry, whatever it is that you're doing, and being committed to your wife or husband. How do you balance that? I know ain't no easy answer to it, but go ahead. By the way, let's say each other's names, by the way, before we speak. Go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Amen.
Amen. I love it, Javen. That it, 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 it's like you're when you get married, you got to go into the marriage thinking this is my ministry, right? Did Paul teach that anywhere else, Javen? Anybody know where did, did Paul teach that anywhere else? Where? In Ephesians five. And in Ephesians 5, he begins to try to teach the purpose of marriage from God's design, right? But if you go into the marriage saying, I'm just going to commit myself to this person, and it's about us, and it's about us kind of um, fulfilling one another, like you're going to fulfill me, I'm going to fulfill you, and you take God out of the equation in marriage, then it's not really marriage as a ministry, is it? Does that make sense? So to Javen's point, I'm going to jump to another verse, but it's still in the context of what Paul was saying. He he talks about um, people who were widows. They were married now. They're not married. So he talks about this single type of person, and he gives them some advice. He says, and um, jumping down to verse 39, he says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. But then he makes this last statement. He couldn't left that statement out. When talking about, hey, you're not married, now you want to get married again, go ahead and be happy again. Marry who you wish, but he put a caveat on it. What's that last statement says in verse um, um, 39? Marry whom she wishes, but what? Only in the Lord. Christians, here's one of the verses we get that principle when we're trying to advise people to When you're going to get married, be careful not to marry a non-Christian. Why, verse 35, why is if you marry a non-Christian in verse 35, according to Paul, in his whole theme here that he's trying to get us to understand, what does he want to avoid? Verse 35, distractions. Your non-Christian mate, you dragging them to church. They, first of all, they only going because of you. And lo and behold, before you know it, it's going it, you know, to be a tug of war. No matter what they say at the beginning of the marriage, they don't really know what they're getting into because you're in a spiritual war and God has a call on your life and it's bigger than you. And after a while, it just don't mesh. So with Christians, if you are already a Christian, we ain't talking about when Kyle was preaching and Paul gave the situation where, okay, two non-Christians, they're married, one becomes a Christian. Now you're in a situation that you didn't plan on, but God will work you through it. He knew what was happening. But if you're a Christian and you are not married, to go into a relationship with somebody who's not a Christian, it is going to hurt the commitment God made to you and you made to him when he made you guilty. They're not guilty. And he gave you an identity. 
and he saved your life, and he has a future for you. And he wants you to go now and commit your life to him. And if you now go and get in a relationship with someone that does not have a similar call, they will eventually distract you and there will be a battle on who's first, them or the Lord. This is why Paul says only in the Lord. Um, apologies, we didn't touch on every single verse and exposit it and highlight it from time to time. When we do this, we'll, we'll look at more detailed at verses because we, we want to grow through the word of God and we want to exposit and teach the word of God. That's our model. But today is about principles. It's about encouragement. It's about reminders that God doesn't want us to be distracted. He wants us to commit to him. He wants us to be um, committed where we are and not put more energy in trying to find a mate if you're single than your commitment to the Lord. The Lord will bring who it is supposed to be with you. There's an old song that they say, what God has for me is for me. Back in the old school black church, we used to sing that song, what God has for me is for me. The scriptures back that up. And God wants you to know, and he's saying it everywhere, all throughout the scriptures, and they're teaching it. They're like, focus on the Lord. Don't get distracted with the things in this world and make that your priority, and you'll get it backwards. You'll get deceived. You'll get distracted, and you'll get find yourself confused. And then when you... Think that, that that relationship that you get in is going to give fulfillment, God is going to allow you to see that he was right all along. Because as human beings, we're, none of us are different. We always think we can kind of get around doing it the way the word says. And we think it's people telling us this. It's like, oh, I ain't got to listen to them. I ain't got to listen to nobody. I do what I want to do when it's really God all the time saying this through people, and in his word. Um, if, whoever you are, you, you um, don't know the Lord, if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord or you're a young Christian or whatever your scenario, it is the reason why Radius Church is here and our foundation, and Paul established the foundation in earlier in 1 Corinthians. He said, I came to you, Corinthians, and I didn't come to you with fancy words. I only spoke to you about Christ and him crucified. What about Christ being crucified? Well, we all know we're not perfect. One day we, want to, we know we're going to stand before the Lord, and we want people that we are coming in contact with in this community to know that Christ died for them and to be able to explain it to them. So that they know Christianity ain't about you coming in here and thinking we perfect or we trying to make you perfect. 
we are trying to make sure you're not guilty when you stand before a holy God. We want you to know he loves you. We want you to know that all this stuff you're going through, the pain, the suffering, that there's a God who loves you and wants you to one day not go through pain in this earth and then have to not have um, a holy God in heaven in the next. He wants you to know that although there's pain in this earth, there's hope in the next. And God wants us as Christians to not be distracted so we can give people that hope. We don't want to get caught up in church politics, hurting one another, making it what it's not about, and then we're distracted, and then we're not showing love to this community. If you don't know Christ here today, today and every day, God is calling you, no matter how young or old, and he wants you to know that he loves you and he wants you to commit, he wants you to commit your life to him. He wants you to come before the heavenly judge in the courthouse to say, I'm guilty, Lord, but I want to be declared not guilty. If you don't know the Lord, that's why we're here. We want to introduce you to him. Radius. Um, we know our goal is to reach people in Dubuque. We want to reach them downtown, and then we want to go beyond that. My heart and my prayer for each and every one of you, all of us, to look in, go before the Lord, look in the mirror, not make it about the next person. Don't make it about, oh, look at what they did to me or what this person did, and I know that's hard. But let's go before the Lord in whatever God has called us to do to help this ministry. Let's say, Lord, I'm not going to let anyone distract me from that. But let's all do that so that we can come together like Paul says and be in the same mind in 1 Corinthians 1. Um, if we're in the same mind and the same heart and we're unified, then we can see the excitement of God bringing people in to reach people that we love, that we have associates with, that are our coworkers, that are in our communities. You want to see them here? It starts with us. Because only the Spirit can draw them. But the Spirit won't draw them unless we are prayerful, we're unified. It ain't about our, just how articulate we are. It ain't about how good we look. It ain't about how great we sing. It ain't about how great we speak. It's not by power, it's not by might. The Bible says it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And the spirit works through a unified group that's committed to him. God will not move until we're ready. So your marriages, your singleness, all of that, it needs to complement what we're doing. We don't want it to be a distraction. So make your marriages your ministry. Minister to your family like you should. Continue to grow. And if you're single, use that time to be committed to the Lord, and God will bring you the right person. But let's encourage one another. Married folks encourage the singles. Single folks encourage the married folks. I pray that the words of the Lord in this passage that the Lord will give you 
the wisdom and how to apply it to your life. And I pray that the Lord will bring us together so we really can reach this great harvest we have. We are connected to so many people in Dubuque. And now I'm asking you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's sacrifice together so that we can reach them. In Jesus' name, let's pray real quick and then um, Raquel can come up and we can end in worship and praise. Let's pray real quick. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the principles that Paul taught us. Thank you, Lord, for him emphasizing in verse 35 that his goal is to secure our devotion to the Lord so that there's no distractions and that there's good order. I pray that for us here at Radius, Lord. Move, Lord, so that we're not distracted, so that we're unified, so that we can reach people for your glory and we can enjoy that excitement while we're here in Dubuque, while we're here on earth, so that we can see that happen and have a lot of fun, Lord, and just see you work and be amazed and give you glory. Help us, Lord, to be committed to you. In Jesus' name, amen.